from the birthplace of radio's greatest era, live from New York, it's Radio Night Live with Kevin McCullough. Wait, who? Kevin McCullough, let me start with you. Huh? The big dog, Kevin McCullough. Who? Kevin McCullough. Uh, no, who? Nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. Who? Kevin McCullough? Kevin McCullough is a nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. What? And CEO of Extreme Media. Oh. Well, welcome to the big show, the big New Year's Eve edition of Radio Night Live. Glad to have you with us. If you're on one of the 300 radio stations that are taking this broadcast, thank you for being here. If you're on one of the two television networks that carries this broadcast, thank you for being here as well. We are very honored to have each of you viewing, watching, listening as we get into the uh, the big news of the week and what's going on. We've got a big show for you, by the way. In fact, uh, let's go back to the, the big board uh, real quick there, Mr. Ivan. Uh, we have got for you tonight a number of topics that are going to be of vital importance uh, that we uh, get to. Everything from what your kids are going to face in the new year to what, uh, well, there's there's actually some wins that I want to tell you about. But we've got uh, Brian Clark. He's going to talk to us about our military and some of the advantages we're going to be able to put up very soon doing some very common sense things. Bethany Mandel is here with a very important uh, topic that always, that always, always, always is looking out for your best interest, uh, particularly for that with your children. Uh, Dr. Gina Loudon's back in the house tonight uh there there is much that sh she has to say in terms of the um the the outlook for 2023 on where we're headed kelsey bowler is here did you know about the american girl controversy we're going to delve into that a little bit we're going to debut something that's going to be part of the new broadcast i'm going to tell you more about that in just a second but uh, kelly collette uh, will be our, our first featured um uh, a guest on the on the new comedy stage uh, here, uh, and we've got uh, some more important things to get to. Plus, you know, for the last uh, number of years, we've highlighted the uh, music spotlight each week, and I am proud to say that out of that music spotlight, we have helped spawn uh, numerous number ones uh, that have uh, gone on to great glory uh, later in the year. Well, I've done it again. I've asked you, I've asked the viewers, I've asked uh, the the people at the Billboard and iTunes and uh, other places that that market and and chart such things. I came out of music radio, so there's a, there's a piece of me that just loves uh, good music, and I'm I'm very honored tonight. We have the two top songs of the year from the new music spotlight, uh, and we'll be announcing what those were before the show is over as well. So all that straight ahead, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna get into some uh, very important things. But I want to. Before I go on any further, I want to make sure that you get a little bit, a piece of good news tonight, a, a piece of good news. The news is not all bad. We, we are not losing on every front. At times, it feels like that. And I will tell you, I am not sad about the idea that uh, 2022 is going away. I, I am actually uh, quite pleased that we are going to be done with this year uh, uh, very, very shortly. But at the at the end of the day, um, I want to see wins uh, go up on the board. I want to see uh, success be had in all the areas of push that we continue to give 
particularly with some of the, the real social constructs that we have advocated for. And 2022 was a record year in that regard in the fact that we overturned Roe v. Wade and it made the left mad and they're not going to let up. That's why we have to be uh, very firm and continue to be vigilant on the behalf of the unborn because there uh, there's still there are still a lot of children at risk uh, even though Roe v Wade has been overturned but that was that was kind of a big uh, highlight in terms of public policy but on the election night in 2020 when the media said there was no red wave when the senate races didn't turn out the way many of us wanted them to when a, a renewed conflict erupted between mitch mcconnell and donald trump and who has the better candidates and who endorses the better people and all all the other stuff that we've had to put up with uh underneath all of that there were two significant victories one we took the house and kevin mccarthy if he becomes speaker will have a a, a vote larger margin than the previous Democrat-controlled Congress that is coming to its uh, to its end, but there was another more significant red wave that night, uh, and it it took place on in I think in all 50 states, at least 50 different school districts that had some very significant local races that went from people being on school boards that were. Uh, progressive and pushing things in those school districts that were untenable to the families of those school districts that were untenable to the parents of the children that are in those school districts, uh, school boards that were pushing policies uh, regarding CRT and transitioning kids at a, 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 on, a on a sexual basis uh, behind their parents' uh, knowledge and permission, encouraging the use of pronouns and uh, altered names at school, all kinds of all kinds of looniness. This was taking place, and in at least 50 of the biggest school districts nationwide, uh, voters stood up and said, no, not on our watch. We're, we're not going to let that happen. Well, we have begun to see some of the fruit of that actual red wave take place. And I, I go to Dateline, uh, Temecula, California, the Temecula Valley Unified School Board uh, yesterday adopting a brand new resolution uh, three to two, which bans the teaching of CRT in the classroom. Uh, the same night, the three new board members were sworn in. So the first, first item of business, and this is so important. When you get the right people motivated by the right causes into the right places of office, they can make an immediate impact. And on the night that these three new school board members were sworn in, they adopted the policy that banned the progressive nuttiness from coming into their school. Friends, this is a sign of hope. This is a sign that at the very closest level to where your family is, you can impact and affect change if you so wish. And that's got to be the message for 2023. We've got to stand up and say, hey, did you know that if you apply just simple effort to clear thinking and common sense, you can in fact make a difference. Now, let me give you some more of the, uh, the resolution was introduced by the newly elected Joseph Komrowski, who said the resolution was a way for him to keep a campaign promise. The first night, Dr. Joseph Komrowski said, I ran my campaign making promises to my future constituents and tonight I'm gonna make good on keeping those campaign promises. Pastor Tim Thompson, founder of the Inland Empire Family Pack, a group focused on parental rights and education that endorsed the three candidates told the Daily Caller, this is the first one and he did good on that campaign promise. I'm grateful for that. He's a man of his word. All three of them did. 
CRT holds that America is systemically racist. And I will say, Kevin McCullough will say that it actually uses racism to try to counterbalance what it calls the systemically racist system. So <laughs> I don't know exactly how CRT was designed and specifically idealized to fix something. But if you, if you use the very thing that you're criticizing to try to fix what you say the problem is, you're, you're not going to be successful. And furthermore, CRT in using its racist approach, which basically says that all white kids in the, in the, in the classroom uh, are products of racism and that they therefore must apologize and be subservient to the children of color. It, this is not taking us in the direction that's helpful and it's not taking us in a direction where we, where we want and need to go. So friends, chin up. We've got good on our side and in at least 50 different cities across the country, there is going to be tangible differences made because of the elections of 2020. Now, I'm hopeful that Congress won't sit around and twiddle its thumbs either. I'm hopeful that uh, Kevin McCarthy will uh, get after it and uh, get things done. I'm hopeful that we will find out the truth about some of these uh, investigations that need to occur. But at the, at the very bottom line of all of this, it proves that if you if you apply yourself, if you get the message out, if you work hard for the cause of what's good, at least in those 50 school boards, we are going to start to see some pretty radically good impact on the equation. All right. Kevin McCullough is my name. It, tonight is the uh, probably second to last uh, edition of what we are calling Radio Night Live. Uh, at the beginning of the next hour, I'm going to go into detail on what all of that includes. Uh, but there's some changes coming. If you're a current radio station or television network that is carrying the show, uh, you're going you're gonna to enjoy the, the new iteration of what we're doing even more so than what we have been doing here. But I hope that you will uh, stick around and find out some very exciting stuff, some very high-credentialed people coming alongside and uh, pouring into us. And we're grateful for all of that help as we continue to try to keep you informed on Saturday evenings and Sundays uh, here through your weekend. Radio Night Live, Kevin McCullough, so glad to have you with us. Stay here. Here's Kevin McCullough. All right. Welcome, Kevin McCullough. Glad to have you with us. Uh, there are a lot of things that the new Congress will have to focus on come January. And one of the uh, very important ones, I think, is always going to be national security and what we need to do to shore up uh, our weaknesses as they've been exposed in a lot of different areas. We've had lots of experts on this show uh, talk about this very thing. Katie McFarland, for, first and foremost, among them saying that 
Uh, with China, we've really got to play a different type of game than maybe with Iran or Russia. Uh, someone that may agree with that statement is Brian Clark, Senior Fellow and Director for the Center for Dis Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. And he's calling us uh, live from the Pentagon. Very appreciative of his time for this. Uh, Brian, thanks for being here. Um, there's uh, a whole theory out there that, um, well, it's not a theory, it's, it's proven. China has exploited us with um, commercial technology left and right. They've stolen a lot of secrets on uh, IT proprietary stuff for a long time. TikTok's probably spying on us even as we speak. Um, right. <laughs> but you guys have said there's a way to turn this commercial technology to our advantage. First of all, why do we need to? And secondly, how do we do it? Yeah, Kevin, thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely. Uh, commercial technology is advancing so much faster than what the military is able to do for itself or with its custom built systems that the, the DOD just needs to start embracing that commercial technology's opportunity. So one great place for that uh, is 5G. So we've got this huge investment in 5G being done by the private sector. Uh, to serve billions of users uh, far beyond anything that the DOD or the U.S. military has. Um, and what you're seeing is that the, the electronics they're able to generate are much more sophisticated uh, and they stay at that cutting edge. And the U.S. military's uh, electronics are you know, generally Cold War technology that's been sort of advanced a little bit over the years. But, you know, it's, it's custom built, it's legacy, it's not able to be as sophisticated as it could be. So we can really uh, advance a lot of the military electronics, you know, the electronic warfare systems, the radars, the uh, weapons. Uh, if we start bringing in microelectronics from the commercial sector and put them into these weapon systems, uh, and instead of, you know, looking at the military as being behind, you know, put the, the military at the leading edge. Isn't this how we used to do uh, uh, defense projects? I remember, because I grew up in the shadow of Carswell Air Force Base, but LD Bell Helicopter and some other uh, companies that, that worked on a lot of, you know, private sector items that were had military application were also uh, headquartered in that region of the country. And I just remember thinking, well, isn't this the way it should be done? Like private sector advancement can help the very sluggish public sector uh, need for these things. You're right. Uh, and so during the uh, Cold War, you know, the U.S. did put a lot of investment from the government into, you know, new computer technology, telecommunications, um, you know, uh, nuclear power. It said all these technologies emerged out of the government, but then the private sector took them and then, you know, rapidly advanced them. And the government, meanwhile, kind of stayed the same. Uh, so now what we need to do is sort of flip the script instead of the government sort of spurring commercial technology development, now take the commercial technology and import it back into the government. So let's talk about what this looks like, practically speaking, from from uh, what our current needs are. What what could we take advantage of and, and what would you know, what what will it do, in, especially in relationship to China? You bet. Uh, so, um, right now, what the U.S. military is looking at doing is trying to create a much larger force with a lot more unmanned systems, a lot more swarming unmanned systems uh, that would do jamming, decoy, deception, uh, that would carry weapons, um, just like you're seeing in Ukraine. Um, and these systems are you know, relatively supposed to be cheap and numerous. Well, the way you get to cheap and numerous is by taking the uh, commercial electronics and using them instead of custom building your own. And that's been a big problem for the U.S. military is it defines its own requirements. It requires everything to be custom built, whether it's a radar or an electronic warfare jammer or the guidance system on a uh, drone. Uh, but instead of uh, building it all yourself, if they harvest this from the commercial world, so 5G uh, base stations, 5G cell phones, our, our own user equipment, uh, all incorporate 
the kinds of sophisticated chips that you would need in guidance systems for drones, for example. Uh, they incorporate the kind of antenna and transmitter uh, equipment that you would need to be able to have a high-end jammer or high-end radar. That stuff can be simply imported right into military systems and used more or less off the shelf. Uh, and DOD needs to start embracing that. And it's starting to in a very small way, but we need to accelerate that effort. If, if that is in fact the case, and I'm, I'm trying to think through all the different angles on this, isn't there a danger in the commercial market being somewhat compromised uh, if it is known that our military is using the off-the-shelf solutions? Right. So if, if you knew which chips the U.S. military was going to use and if the U.S. military didn't adapt them in any way, uh, there could be that danger. I mean, but the one benefit of using commercial electronics is it's if you're, you know, for example, Qualcomm makes uh, hundreds of millions of uh, each of its sort of uh, 5G modem chips that go into your cell phone, hundreds of millions per year. There's no way for them to know or for anybody in the supply chain to know which ones are going to go to the military versus which ones go to your or my iPhone. So the, the, just the vast quantity of commercial microelectronics are such that it's going to be hard to figure out which are being diverted for military purposes. The other thing is that the, the DOD is also looking at ways to adapt these commercial electronics slightly to you know, meet its own needs, but then to also incorporate what they call zero trust. So if you take the commercial microelectronics chips and then you repackage them in a new way, uh, new architecture, it's hard for the uh, builder to understand exactly what it's going to look like when it gets into the weapon system. So it's a way of establishing a zero trust relationship where the DOD can feel like you can take these commercial electronics, repackage them in any way, that, in a new way that the that the original manufacturer doesn't understand, and they they can feel confident that that, that final architecture is not something that an enemy could predict and then exploit it. Because that was the that was the rationale behind why government had standards that it set privately right i mean that so that right. no one else could know the the product the, the problem is when they started doing that a, a five dollar hammer began to cost like 75 dollars to the taxpayer um are, exactly. is, is that is that the same type of idea here we're, we're paying way way more through the nose for something that's not nearly as good absolutely right so instead of designing your own hammer um go ahead and buy the commercial hammer uh, and then you, that might mean you have to change how you fight a little bit so so for example uh, as the military starts to adopt more of these cheap, numerous systems, that gives it the opportunity to use some of these commercial microelectronics because it doesn't have to be specialized for the military's particular way of doing things. Um, so it means that the DOD has got to start rethinking how it defines requirements so that it can go to a commercial first model, essentially to say, well, what's on the shelf that I can use? And then what does that mean for how I'm going to operate and fight uh, and build these systems? Because how they do it now is they decide how they want to fight and build the systems, and then they go custom build something to solve that that problem. Right. They need to start reversing that model to look commercial first instead of custom built first. It's too much reinvention of the wheel when the wheel is exactly. working just fine. Let me ask you this. It's no um, secret that one of the reasons uh, China is so intent on uh, Taiwan is because of their microprocessor uh, capabilities, and they 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 can turn out billions of them. Um, is this a way that we can uh, also have an impact on that conflict uh, by boosting this sector for them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this is the way the U.S. government is putting a lot of investment through the Chips and Science Act. Uh, it just put these export controls in that are trying to reduce the amount of uh, leakage of technology over to China. So certainly by having the military become a bigger customer of commercial microelectronics, that's going to help improve the condition of the U.S. microelectronics supply chain. Does that have direct impact on the Chinese-Taiwan equation? 
It does, right? So if you make yourself less、uh, dependent upon Taiwan by investing more in U.S.-built microelectronics that the military might use,、um, then you're going to make yourself more resilient and reduce that that vulnerability that you have to Taiwan becoming part of China.、Um, it also reduces the value to China of invading Taiwan because you're not going to be able to cut you at the U.S. off from. Uh, the microelectronics that it needs. Well, I really、Excellent. appreciate、uh, you helping us understand this,、uh, Brian Clark of the Hudson Institute. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Kevin. It was great to be on. You got it, Kevin McCullough. Coming right back. Don't go away. And now back to Radio Night Live. Here's Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us, and、uh, glad to welcome back Bethany Mandel. I don't think we got to speak to her last week,、um, but、uh, glad to have her back on the show、uh, today. And、uh, Bethany, the、um, most recent piece of your, one of the more recent pieces of yours that ran in the Spectator,、um, deals with something. You, you put forward an interesting premise in the title. That falsehoods about abortion put lives at risk. Some people would say, "No, duh, an abortion kills a baby every time." <laughs> But you're talking about the lives of the mothers.、Uh, yeah, this has been a theory that has gone around. There have been theories about this for a long time: breast cancer and some other associated、uh, conditions. What What are you actually taking aim at here, and what do our What do my listeners need to know? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually was contacted. By a doctor, a friend of mine, and she said, "This is something you need to look into because I'm hearing from women across the political spectrum, across the socio socioeconomic spectrum, and they just don't understand what this Dobbs decision means for their health, and so they're coming into her office afraid that they are not going to be provided with life-saving care in the event of an ectopic pregnancy." Um, or other sort of life-threatening conditions, when that's just not—it's not the reality.、Right. They're all—they've always—I mean, in Texas, they've always been afforded life-saving care since abortion was made illegal there, and that's not going to change with Dobbs nationwide.、Uh, but liberals have decided to try to scare the bejesus out of women, and have told them that they're going to die.、Um, They, abortion is healthcare, and if they, if abortion isn't legal, then they die. And it's panicking women, and it's affecting their care, and it's become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where doctors are hearing that they're not allowed to provide life-saving care, and so they are not providing life-saving care because they have a misunderstanding themselves of of the law. And Wait, so, doctors are actually doing that. Yes. Yes. Uh, I spoke to a doctor. Well, shame, shame on the doctors for being that ill-informed.、Yeah. I mean,、yeah. you would think that if you're a practitioner of medicine, you'd at least be up to date on what the law says about your practice. You'd think, right? So I spoke to a doctor in Michigan, and the weekend that Dobbs landed, they had a, a patient come into their OR, into their ER, sorry, and she had a suspected ectopic pregnancy, and. Um, and the even the higher ups said we don't really know because now we're operating under a 1931 law that outlawed abortion, and so let's just not provide her care until we figure it out and we talk to our lawyers. And there was a doctor in the ER that said that's absurd. I'm administering care because to not do so is malpractice.、Um, but they had to go against the higher ups at the hospital to do so. 
Um, and there's there's stories like that going around where it, whether it's ignorance or honestly political malice, there are doctors who are not providing care that they are legally not just entitled to provide, but morally required to to provide. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, if, if people have seen the film Sophie's Choice, it's any time that the life of the mother or the child is in is a question, um, it is a, a sad and disheartening thing. I think one of the things that people also need to understand is that these things happen on a very low percentage basis, you know, as compared to healthy pregnancies. And so we're not talking about a massive number of women that need to be panicked about this. This is this is something that even even if it was the worst case scenario uh, impacts a very, very small amount of people. But the very minimum should be that doctors know the truth and that they're telling their patients the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not. And and I spoke to another doctor who has been working at a at a pro-life Catholic hospital and they have never provided abortions. He's been operating under basically DAS for a very long time. And um, and he was at a conference among other doctors who said, well, we, we don't know how to provide care. And he raised his hand and said, I can tell you, I've been doing it. And he said, anyone who's actually concerned and, and doesn't know, come to me after this speech and I am happy to walk you through how I provide care. No one came up to him. Hmm. And later on in the conference, the same conversation came up and that that doctor sort of gave up the game and said, well, I mean, it's not impossible to know what we're allowed to do and not to do. But um, but abortion is healthcare, and we don't want to let go of that talking point. And so even sort of they're admitting that they know how to provide care, even under a sort of tough circumstances this new reality yeah. where abortion isn't legal but that doesn't mean that they can't provide life-saving care well it's always interesting to get bethany mandel on the case when someone tips her off to look into something because she always gets the facts straight bethany appreciate it uh and appreciate you being with us thank you so much kevin you got it kevin mccullough coming right back don't go away Once again, Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to be with you. You know, it was uh, just this weekend when for the first time I saw the Breitbart headline saying that Father Frank Pavone, who founded the organization called Priests for Life that uh, Dr. Alveda King and others have also represented over the last several years, had been officially defrocked by the American uh, ambassador from the Vatican uh, to the to the United States uh, and that this is the uh, there's no chance for um, appeal and there will be no rehearing of it. And uh, Father Frank Pavone said quite bluntly, I will never stop being a priest. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting as to the reasons why they said they defrocked him. And let's get into that with some discussion with Dr. Gina Loudon, a thrice credentialed human behavioralist who knows a thing or two about uh, <clears throat> the games that people play. Dr. Gina, always good to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Oh, always great to be with you. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's it. Hey, let's quickly uh, discuss Father Frank, when it comes to one of like 
I don't know, one of the, the real heroes of the pro-life movement. This man has put it bluntly for as many years as I can remember, and he's never backed down from absolute truth. And I might also add, I've never seen him once be in any other way than agreeable and winsome and and doing doing the hard saying the hard things with as much uh good diligence as he possibly can what do you make of the decision by the uh, vatican to take this action against him yeah i think i think it's important to note kevin and that uh one of the things about him is the grace with which he proceeds to do his job every I, I, day i couldn't help Every day, I couldn't help but be struck, honestly, by this in a special sort of a way because so many of us have been uh, condemned or persecuted in our own arenas for whatever reason. But very few of us, myself included, um, I guess I was just shocked because his demeanor is always so full of grace and so deferential and so loving and so kind that I was surprised that he even managed to get under someone's skin, which tells you this isn't at all about him. This is about a woke Catholic church doing an actual purge with an agenda. Um, and all you have to do to know where the Vatican is on all of this is take a look at the fact that they are aiding and abetting the illegals coming across our border right now. Human trafficking and human slavery is at an all-time high in our world right now because of Catholic charities and the Catholic Church. None of that's being condemned. Yeah. But they find reason to condemn Father Frank Pavone, one of their best advocates. If nothing else, Kevin, they could have left him alone to just be out here in the conservative realm, keeping some of their conservative members who are undoubtedly going to leave over this decision but you know what it's more important to them to be woke and to advocate evil and i'm talking about patent evil here um than it was to just kind of go along and get along and and let conservatives stay in the church because father people father are there and it makes you assume others are but i guess they're not what's interesting was i kept as i would see the the stories coming across over the weekend i kept trying to look for the the rationale what what was the mm -hmm. major crime that he committed to get defrocked i mean in evangelical circles which i'm far more familiar with um you know if you uh, have an affair while you're in ministry and you're unrepentant you you lose your pastorship uh if you uh embezzle things from the church uh money that is not yours to take you 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 lose your job if you do any you know if you if you molest children if you do any number of things that uh that as a pastor you know are beneath the level of what a pastor is allowed to be as a leader in the christian faith you you plan on losing your job that's the that's the given going into it it's already going to happen so i'm looking i'm looking very carefully through the news stories what did he do what did he do what did he do he mm -hmm. put something on facebook along the lines of saying that democrats were godless and yeah. because he wouldn't retract it for saying that democrats are godless that meant he was hate-filled and he had to lose his post yeah and it obviously this is just malarkey right this is not about anything besides the fact that it's true that democratic platform is godless and that they're killing unborn children that that aside yes it, right and and rather and rather kevin than condemn the fact that they um advocate killing babies condone killing babies all the way birth um not and to mention beyond. slavery trafficking uh not to mention pedophilia and all the rest of the things that the Democrats do rather than impugn the party, which they could do and probably have some serious impact. Uh, they decide to impugn 
the messenger, which right. is Father Frank Pavone. And it just says so much about where they are today. I think it's the beginning of the end of the Catholic Church in terms of um, having any sort of credibility out there in the world. And I just, I'm so curious, but I went all the way through Catholic schools. I don't even know if you know that, but I went through Catholic school, Catholic college, um, at Catholic uh, master's program, my first master's program. Um, and so I completely am so used to there being, um, you know, a big divide between liberal and Catholics that you think they would care somewhat about keeping their conservatives there. You know, you've got your cross between your social justice warriors who are, tend to be on um, the leftist side, the Jesuits and the rest of them. And then you've got on the conservative side, you know, a lot of the just grassroots kind of Catholics who just work real hard. And are well, let's face Catholics, it. The vast know? majority of the pro-life movement has been fueled by faithful Catholics uh, for years. And yes. the head of almost every major pro-life organization for a long time we're, we're most likely Catholics. That's changed a little bit in the last 10 years, but not not tremendously. But anyway, having said all of that, I, I hope that Father Frank does stay in the uh, conversation. I hope that uh, it comes to the attention of the American bishops that have uh, separated themselves from the Vatican on a lot of issues in the last few years. And I hope that there's some pushback on this, that there, there's you cannot this cannot be allowed to stand. And the Vatican seemed to have just this iron fist that can come down on anybody whenever it wants to. There's got to be some accountability here, and we can we can hope for that end, but we'll certainly report on it. Hey, real quickly, what's on your big show tonight? Uh, well, tonight we are, um, I think, doing a best of the year show. Um, and it, it really, we've got the one of the coolest things is the Christmas uh, information by Bill Federer, who I know you also love, who is a Catholic, and I can barely wait to ask him about this issue. <laughs> That'll be interesting for sure. Dr. Gene, yeah. always appreciate you. Always appreciate you too. Kevin, Kevin McCullough, coming right back. Stay here. And in fact, as we continue, it will be the number two song of the year, working our way to number one in the music spotlight next hour. But up, uh, up first will be number two uh, in our next segment. Kevin McCullough, live from New York. Stay here. again from new york here's radio night live and kevin mccullough all right ladies and gentlemen it was an entire year in the making but we have finally determined what the top two songs for the new music spotlight were and at number two it's taylor swift i have this thing where i get older but just never wiser midnight's become my afternoons when my depression works the graveyard shift all of the people I've ghosted stand there in the room I should not be left to my own devices they come with crises and vices I end up in crisis I wake up screaming from dreaming one day I'll watch as you're leaving cause you got tired of my scheming
Antihero was number one on the charts for six consecutive weeks in 2022 and came in second in the new music spotlight for the year. At the end of hour two, we will unveil the song that finished first with a record-setting number of weeks at number one on the major charts. Kevin McCullough, so glad to have you with us on this commemorative Radio Night Live. 